Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Swapsies, no take backs. That was what my little brother Dylan used to always call out when I traded candy with him, especially around Halloween. He was six on our last Halloween together, old enough for me to take him trick-or-treating alone and for him to really appreciate it. I still remember that last time well, all these years later. One reason for that is because even at nine, I appreciated that I was lucky to have such a sweet little brother. Old enough for me to baby him, but close enough to my own age to have fun with him too. We'd always been close, since he was born. Another reason was that following year, two weeks before Halloween in 2005, Dylan died in his sleep. They told us it was a congenital heart defect that had never been caught and that most likely he just stopped. Breathing in and out those soft sleep breaths I used to listen to when I had shared a room just a year earlier and then moments later just silence. Stretching on through the dark hours until our mother found him and began to scream. It destroyed our family. Even leading up to the funeral, my parents were alternating crying, consoling each other, and arguing over nothing. They wound up getting a divorce two years later. For my part, I cried some, but most of the time was reserved for hating myself, thinking about how if I hadn't made a big deal of getting my own room just a few months earlier... I might have heard him stop breathing. Might could have got him help in time. My parents told me that wasn't so. That the doctor said it was just one of those things that couldn't be helped. But all that made me wonder was... Who was lying? My parents or the doctors? The week after his funeral, I went back to school. We had a substitute teacher I'd never seen or heard of before. She said her name was Mrs. Grackle, and she was going to be replacing our normal fourth grade teacher, Miss Horn, until she got over the flu. She'd been there for the latter part of the week I'd missed, so the other students in my class seemed pretty much used to her. But she made my skin crawl in a way I couldn't fully understand. She wasn't dressed weird and was well-kempt. There was something off about her. Her pale skin was smooth and tight, but almost too much so, as though she had somehow been birthed as a fully grown woman with flesh that had not seen the sun or even been touched by air. I heard some of the boys whispering at lunch about how pretty Mrs. Gackle was, making the vague and clumsy innuendos that young boys do, and she was objectively attractive, with refined features and a trim figure framed by long, curly brown hair, but her eyes, they stared out like a doll's eyes, dark, hard, and indestructible. As the week wore on, I found that they kept focusing on me. It was that Wednesday that Mrs. Grackle asked me to stay after the final bell rang. I felt the knot of unease that had been growing in my belly since Monday morning tighten into a painful ball of fear. 
I didn't know what to say. As I watched my classmates and friends rush out of the room, I wanted to run with them to keep running until I was home again and upstairs in Dylan's room. I had taken to sleeping there again while... Elizabeth, can you come up here, please? I flinched at the words, my name sounding oily and sinister on her tongue. Swallowing, I glanced up and nodded before sliding out of my desk and approaching the front of the room. Yes, ma'am? Is something wrong? The woman smiled, her perfectly even teeth gleaming like white stones between the red ring of lipstick expertly lining her lips. No, nothing like that, dear. I just wanted to check in on you, see how you were doing. When I stared at her without response, she went on. I heard about your little brother's passing, you see, just a few days ago, I understand. My chest tightened. The only blessing about school now was that it wasn't home. It gave me a forced reprieve from all the sad reminders of Dylan's death, an occasional moment where I forgot to hate myself. And now... Uh, yes, ma'am, that's true. Mrs. Grackle made a clucking noise deep in her throat. So very sad. He was, what, five, six? Why was she asking me all of this? I wanted to tell her it was none of her business to get my brother out of her rotten mouth, but I was young and she wasn't just an adult, but a teacher, albeit a substitute one. So I just jammed my hands in my jeans and nodded, trying to avoid her unblinking stare. I heard her breath quicken slightly at my nod, and despite myself, I looked up just in time to see her wiping away a spot of drool from her pale and perfect chin. Her eyes locked with mine again, seeming to hold me where I stood. Was... Was he buried fresh and whole? I didn't understand what she was asking, yet I heard myself say, Yes, whole and fresh, only four days in the ground. My own heart was hammering, so I knew it would burst any second. And she just kept staring at me, not letting me move, weighing something secret and terrible behind those dark eyes. And then I was home. I woke up on my bed, a moment of vertigo sending the room spinning before my brain acclimated to where I was. My mother was calling for me to come down. It was time for us to go to Wednesday evening church services. My family had always been casually religious, but I could already tell that my mother was becoming more devout by the day. I didn't fault her for finding comfort in the church, and I'd always enjoyed Sunday school well enough, but if not for her wanting me to go, it was the last place I'd wanted to be. The strangeness of my encounter with Grackle aside, I didn't savor the idea of being buffeted between two groups of well-meaning strangers as they murmured sympathies and gave pitying looks. I wanted to be alone with my memories of Dylan my guilt and my pain. By the time we were halfway through the service, I had half convinced myself the conversation with Grackle had just been a dream. I'd been exhausted for going on two weeks and waking up at a home like that. Well, it just made more sense than a substitute teacher trying to talk to me about Dylan and his burial like that. It also made me realize something else. I could go visit him. Dylan's actual funeral had been in a sanctuary at one of our local funeral homes, but he was buried in one of the far new lots of the church's cemetery. 
I felt a stir of sad excitement at the thought of going to visit him, and even though it was getting dark as we left the service, when I asked my mother if I could go see him for a minute, she only nodded absently before going back to talking with two of her commensurating friends. I ran across the first cemetery lot and on to the second. I'd spent time playing around these tombstones for years, so it wasn't hard to pick my way toward his grave even in the dimming twilight. It was that familiarity and expectation of what I should see around his grave that first gave me pause as I got closer. There was some kind of small hill next to his gravestone. A roundish mound that hadn't been there last time we'd visited a few days before. Even more strange, there was someone already at Dylan's grave. And they were digging. I felt confused, anger, and fear as I picked up speed again, yelling, Hey! Stop! Even as the figure stood up and turned to face me. The orange glow of the fading October sun, that pale skin seemed to blaze in the dark, the cascade of brown curls looking now more like dark twines, twisted down into the mires of some forbidden swamp. Mrs. Gackle smiled at me briefly before returning to her digging. Stop! I said, stop! I didn't know what was going on, but I knew it was wrong in a way that went beyond anything I'd ever experienced before. I didn't know words like desecration or sacrilege yet, but in my heart, every thundering beat screamed bad, wrong, stop, in a staccato rhythm that permeated my whole body and weakened my knees. But she didn't stop. She kept digging, her long, thin-fingered hands churning up the dirt as she made quick work of the earth beneath her and her prize. Within a few seconds, she'd uncovered the small white coffin where my brother lay and drug it out of his grave with surprising ease. I started screaming at her again, but I trailed off into silence as I saw where she was taking it. The strange new hill wasn't a hill at all. It was a person. Or at least part of one. Hulking and covered in rags, the figure was incomplete. Somehow, as impossible as it seemed, it stood there with a large cavity in its middle. There was no head, and below where it should be, a ragged darkness gaped out from between the folds of tattered cloth. I was still staring at it dumbly as Mrs. Grackle reached it. She let go of Dylan's casket, and giving me a quick wry glance, she pulled herself into that larger body, her flesh twisting and flowing to fill the chasm and complete the towering thing before me. Her head looked different now. And in truth, she was wholly unrecognizable except for those same damned black, staring eyes. She swung those eyes toward me and twisted her mouth oddly before speaking in a deep and rough voice. You say no, but what do you offer in exchange? The thing paused as considering, but I could tell from its tone, that it was simply playing a game, mocking me. Yourself. I'd felt frozen to the ground before, but now I started backing away. What? Exchange? A short, coarse laugh. <laughs> a trade. Dylan goes back in the hole, and you come with me. I stopped again, in spite of my fear. Go with you? Where? A longer, nastier chuckle. <laughs> oh, you'll see. What'd you say? Just remember, if you say yes, the deal is struck. 
It held out its hand to me, and then, in a higher voice like that of a child, it screeched, Swapsies, no take-backs. I ran. I ran through the deepened shadows, terrified that any moment that enormous long-fingered hand would close on my shoulder or seize my ankle. I ran back into the church, and when I clutched my mother with tears streaming down my face, she looked down and began to cry herself, sweeping me up in her arms and carrying me back to the car to go home. She thought I was just upset at visiting the grave, and it wasn't until the next day that her and my father started questioning me more intently. After the church groundskeeper found what had happened to Dylan's grave, I lied, of course. They never would have believed me, and I was too upset for them to press me hard. I later wondered if that lie, unknown but possibly somehow still sensed by my parents, was what solidified the distance that continued to grow between the three of us. They were still good parents, or good enough, and I know that they loved me, but That final loss of my brother, the terrible mystery of how and why and where he was taken, was what finally killed the laboring heart of my family forever. There was one other lie I never told my parents, though. This one was more of omission. I never told them about the note I found on my desk when I finally returned to school on Friday, the first day of Mrs. Holmes' return. I never told them about the note I found on my desk when I finally returned to school on Friday, the first day of Mrs. Horn's own return. It was written in small, slanted blue letters in a neatly cut square of yellowing paper, a light smudge of pink staining the top right corner. Holding the paper in my trembling hands, I read the words over and over. Even now, there's not a day I don't see them in my mind. Thank you for the num-nums, Elizabeth. I enjoyed them last night, and they were delicious. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Every day on my way to work, I pass the cemetery on Richmond Road. I'd always thought there was something off about it, something I couldn't quite put my finger on. Maybe it was the overgrown grass, the washed-out tombstones, the fact that it was always empty, or the lack of flowers on any of the graves. I don't know exactly what it was, but whenever the bus drove by, I was left with a strange feeling in my gut. The cemetery seemed unreal somehow, like trying to look through a window only to discover it was just a painting on the wall. There were no churches or mortuaries nearby, and no identifying feature. Just a graveyard on its own, seemingly out of place. It wasn't until my mother's funeral a few months ago that I became compelled to look into it. You see, the cemetery where she was buried, across town so she could be with her parents, had an entirely different atmosphere. It had a sort of weight to it. A weight that the cemetery on Richmond Road lacked. Even when I returned to the gravesite on my own, the cemetery still had a presence of sorts, almost as though it was buzzing with life, whereas the one on Richmond Road felt stale, clinical, and sterile. I started asking around at work. My curiosity only grew when I realized nobody knew anyone who'd been buried there not even distant relatives. The mystery quickly became an obsession of mine, a burning curiosity that couldn't help but be quelled unless I knew the truth. 
I'd have to dig deeper to find it. My first step was to consult the records at City Hall. According to official documents, the cemetery land was in an industrial zone, unlike community cemeteries which were marked as urban service zones. My next step was to find out who owned the land. Unfortunately, I couldn't gather any information on its current owners. I tried researching who originally bought it, but the graveyard's inception predated the available records. My final step was sorting through decades of city maps, hoping to come up with a timeline for the graveyard's construction. If I could narrow down when it was established, I could focus my research. Pre-60s era maps identified it as a forested area, while post-60s era maps had it blocked off entirely. For all intents and purposes, the graveyard shouldn't have existed. One evening, when my curiosity boiled over, I wandered into the graveyard. You could say that I broke in, but the gate wasn't locked and I didn't see a keep-out sign. As I strolled through the unkempt row of tombstones, I realized something. They were identical, save for the names on the front. Same size, same rate of decay, same type of marble. They were placed out in identical, perfectly aligned rows. All factors that contributed to the graveyard lacking a touch of human warmth. The most chilling detail, however, had to be the year etched on their polished surfaces. Every single one was marked 1965, leading me to wonder if I was standing on some sort of war monument, but the era was wrong. What did this mass grave signify. I can't quite explain why, but as I stood in the graveyard with only the sound of the frigid wind to keep me company, I couldn't help but think the graves I was standing on were empty. In my mind, I could picture hundreds of caskets, their silk lining still in pristine condition, and their pillows plump and untouched. A strange thought, perhaps, but one I couldn't shake. It was then that I saw a spade resting against a nearby tree. Rust circled up the shaft like climbing vines, eating away at the metallic green paint on its surface. The spade had been left out in the elements for too long, I figured. I eyed it for a long moment, unable to make up my mind. I was alone. I had the opportunity to prove my theory. All these months, no, years, of unanswered questions, and I finally had a chance to get to the bottom of them. My fingers wrapped around the handle. I pulled the spade over my head and glared at the foot of the nearest grave. My body tensed. My heart raced. Could I really do it? I was trembling, shaking in my boots. I hadn't even done anything yet. But I was already drowning with guilt and regret. What was I doing? What was I expecting to find buried beneath the ground? I was sickened by my own morbid thoughts and actions. This obsession had to end. How could I have let it get this far? I lowered my arms, took a step back, and hung my head in shame. I didn't have time to dwell on that shame for too long. Footsteps broke through the silence of the night. I could feel blood draining from my face as I froze where I stood. Had the cops come to arrest me for trespassing? I wanted to run, but... I was afraid I'd get into even more trouble if I did. I knew someone was bound to get curious eventually, said a calm voice. 
I reflexively clutched the spade tightly and held it against my chest as I turned around to face the speaker. There was an old man peering at me. He was wearing a knitted sweater, brown pants, and tattered black shoes. The crow's feet around his eyes stretched as he smiled softly. You're curious about the grave, right? He murmured, motioning toward the plot. I stared at him, speechless. I had been caught with my hand in the cookie jar and didn't quite know how to explain myself. There was no lie in the world that could properly justify my actions. My face twisted as I racked my brain, trying to come up with a response, but my thoughts fluttered away in every direction, like dandelion fuzz in the breeze. Well, don't just stand there, he said, motioning for me to come closer. Shivering, I blindly obeyed and bridged the distance between us. He smiled and looked me in the eyes. Come on, let's get you warmed up with some coffee. I'm sure you must have questions. My fingers squeezed the spade protectively. I shyly averted my gaze from the stranger and lowered my head closer to my shoulders, trying to make myself smaller. Not much of a talker, are you? he asked, letting out a soft chuckle. He extends his arm toward the back of the property where I could just barely make out the outline of a building. Come on now, don't be shy. Still looking away, I loosened my grip and inched toward the tree. I placed the spade right back down where I'd found it. As soon as I let it go, it toppled over. I reached down to grab it, but felt a hand on my shoulder to stop me. It's fine, just leave it. Come on, I promise I won't bite. He didn't sound sinister. His voice was calm, warm, and welcoming. He was the embodiment of a grandfather, but still, something put me ill at ease. Was it him, or the shame and disgust I was feeling at myself? His hand moved from my shoulder to my back. I felt him push against it very lightly, like a parent guiding their child. I found myself walking along, unable to speak or look at anything but my own two feet. I'll explain everything once we get inside, he assured me. He led me to a concrete building at the very outskirts of the cemetery. Though the outside was cold and unwelcoming, the inside had a homey feel to it. There were couches, an old television, and a bed in the corner. It almost looked like a hunter's cabin, minus the shotguns and animal hides. On the bookshelf in the corner was a large, framed photo of half a dozen people wearing lab coats. It had to have been quite old, judging by its grainy texture, lack of color, and the outdated hairstyles of the men and women photographed therein. Have a seat. I'll be right back, he said. He disappeared into the kitchen, leaving me to meander around the living room. I could have run away at that point, but I was paralyzed, mortified by what I'd done. I could hear the sounds of a coffee maker gurgling from the other room and ceramic cups clanging against one another. Do you take anything with your coffee? Sugar? Milk? Cream? He asked as he returned with a fresh cup. Uh... Sugar. The words wouldn't come out. I swallowed and cleared my throat. <clears> throat> sugar. Sh- sugar, please. He clapped his hands together and chuckled. <laughs> so he speaks. My cheeks flushed red with embarrassment. He handed me a cup of coffee. Name? Uh, Isaiah. Odd name for someone so young. My mom was religious. You? No. Tell me. Do you believe in the soul? No. 
He smiled a knowing smile. So tell me, Isaiah. What were you doing digging up the grave? My heart stopped. It was the question I was dreading. I could have spent my time coming up with an answer, but I didn't. My mind had gone blank from the moment I'd seen him to the moment he'd placed the cup of coffee in my hands. Well, he insisted. I tried to take a sip of coffee to buy some time, but it was still scalding hot. I... I had a hunch. A hunch. That it'd be empty, I answered. He took a seat opposite from me and smiled again, nodding his head as though he'd anticipated the answer. What if I told you that you were right? Am I? He nodded. Are they all empty? The graves, I mean, I asked. I figured he knew he lived on the property after all. He nodded. Every last coffin. You want to know why? I hesitated. Did I? Was this one of those things like in the movies where he'd tell me he was going to have to kill me if he told me the truth? I tensed, fingers digging into my kneecaps nervously. He laughed lightheartedly. You shouldn't be so afraid of me, you know. I'm not the one digging up graves in the middle of the night, he said. Touche. Please, tell me, I finally requested. He leaned back against the chair, setting in like a storyteller preparing to weave a fantastic tale for his children. It all started... Back in the 60s, when I was... He cupped a hand to his chin and squinted at me. I'd say about your age. I was working with a team of medical researchers on improving organ transplantation. You see, back then, transplants were still fairly new. We weren't sure which organs could and couldn't be successfully transplanted. I took a sip of coffee, listening to him attentively. I wondered where he was going with this. Was he a mad scientist who disemboweled his victims just to see if he could? Would I be next? He looked longingly toward the photo on the shelf. It was while researching the brain that we realized something that brought our research to a complete standstill. Something that shook us to the core of our foundation. We discovered the brain lives on, even after death. I snorted, but quickly slapped my hand over my mouth. I'm sorry, that's just not what I was expecting to hear. I pressed my lips together. I'm sorry, but what you're saying is impossible. He shook his head. It's alright. I understand your skepticism. I was skeptical too back then, but it's true. We discovered... Life after death, so to speak. In the form of electrical impulses, barely noticeable, really. Even days after the body has died, the brain still sends out just the faintest of signals. You almost have to be looking for it to know it's there, but it is. His smile faded into a solemn frown. And the brain continues to do so, until it putrefies completely. I became overwhelmed with apprehension. I didn't quite understand what he was trying to say, but the mere thought of it made me uncomfortable. The hairs on my forearm stood at attention. A bead of sweat rolled down my temple and landed on my lap. I swallowed a knot hanging out in my throat. Like a... Like a chicken running around with its head cut off, right? He shook his head. No. 
That is completely different. Those are just the nerves still firing at random. What we found was... He paused, trying to come up with the right word. Organized. Deliberate. Messages sent through the brain. Signals that are much slower than with a living specimen and much less active, but still present. When you die, your brain is still aware of what's going on. His faded blue eyes looked into mine. Despite his age, I could see vitality behind their cloudy facade. I looked away, unable to maintain eye contact. My gaze fell on the brown liquid in the cup between my fingers. He continued. The brain is aware of everything. I thought of the caskets in the graveyard. (laughs) I was starting to understand why they were empty. Uh, Even autopsies? I asked hesitantly. He brought his hands together and nodded. We cut them open like it's nothing, without realizing what we're doing, but if that wasn't bad enough... He started, his voice becoming sharper. We extend their suffering. The brain, under normal circumstances, should decay within a few days. But we chill our corpses. We embalm them so they can be put on display. We lock them up in caskets and bury them deeper in the ground. Nowadays, brains can survive weeks, sometimes even a month longer than they should. Goes against the natural order of things. I felt ill. If... He was right. If he wasn't just some crazy old coot, then I could only imagine the kind of horrors people had endured. Could they feel their bodies being cut open? Embalming fluid, flushing their system, their skin being sewn and prepped for viewing? How long did they feel the four walls of their caskets close down around them before they finally found rest? He had to be wrong. He just had to be. There's no way, I murmured tensely. He sighed. I know it's hard to believe, but it's the truth. We were all shocked. We didn't want to believe it. We performed countless tests, but we all came to the same conclusion. We couldn't do much, though. Only destroy the bodies sent to us. Make sure none of them suffered. What about all the graves? He smiled. (laughs) Those are symbolic. The families know no one's buried there. We were working with bodies donated to science. The graveyard was just to give families a place to mourn and collect themselves, but since most of our specimens came from out of town, well... Nobody ever really bothered coming to the graveyard after the funerals, he explained. Plots were empty, after all. Why make the trip? What about everyone else? The ones who weren't sent to you? Everyone who's been buried since then? I asked. My leg began to tremble from nervous agitation as I worried about my mother who'd been buried recently. If you're right, then that's all well and good, but what about the millions of people who still get buried every year? This case softened. We did everything we could. We reported our findings, omitting a few details, of course. We wouldn't want to cause a panic, or worse, have our funding cut. We did help initiate long-term results. It's no coincidence that fewer and fewer people get buried nowadays, you know. Cremation is a common practice, but... You know how bureaucracy goes. (laughs) Like most things, change takes time. I sat there, head in my hands, staring at the floor while the cup of coffee cooled on the table next to me. 
Why tell me this? I asked. I didn't want to know. Why would anyone want to know? I could hear him shuffling in his seat. He got up, walked to the bookshelf in the corner, and grabbed the photograph. I told you out of selfishness, he answered. You see, my fellow researchers died, one after the other, leaving me as the only man alive who knows the truth. He knelt down in front of me so our eyes could meet. I'm getting along in the years now. Won't be long before I'm dead and gone. I don't want to suffer. I need someone to take care of me when the time comes. Please. I need you to destroy my brain. I stood up shaking. What? No. I'm not... I'm not a killer. He laughed nervously and shook his head. (laughs) No, not... Not right now. When I die, please. I put it in my last will and testament, but I know how these things go. They won't destroy the brain. They'll cremate me eventually, but not quickly enough. He grabbed my legs tightly and looked up at me, his calm and controlled behavior suddenly desperate and panicked. Please. I'm begging you. I don't have any living relatives. Let me mark you as a next of kin. They'll let you in, and then you can do it. Please. I don't want to suffer while I wait to be cremated. I don't want to feel the fires melting my skin. I didn't know what to say or do. What he was asking for was inhuman. But I had a feeling he wouldn't let go unless I agreed. I nodded hesitantly. Alright. His grip loosened instantly. He let out a sigh of relief and pushed himself to his feet. I could see him wiping his eyes on his sleeve. Had he actually started crying? Good, good. I'll just take down your information, he said, wobbling to the kitchen for a pen and paper pad. I know what you must be thinking. Why didn't I just give him fake info? The truth is, I was so frazzled that I reacted automatically. I gave him my address, my phone number, and name. Everything. When I was done, I left. I wandered out of the graveyard feeling shaken to the core. I hoped what he told me was a delusion. I hoped he'd fade away to the back of my mind and that I'd never get a call about him. I went to bed that night and stared at the ceiling for hours, imagining decaying bodies trapped in their dark tombs, able to hear and feel but unable to see anything or call for help, a fate worse than being buried alive. No one knew the pain that they were in. They couldn't scream or scratch at the surface. They just lay there and feel themselves withering away. The chilling imagery kept me up well into the morning hours, even after convincing myself that the old man was crazy. The anxiety persisted. The fear was electric, tingling the back of my neck like someone blowing on my skin. I couldn't get the morbid thoughts out of my mind. They ate away at me like acid rain on an old swing set. And then the phone rang. I picked it up and brought it to my ear. Hello? Is this Isaiah Brown? Yeah, I replied nervously. Had the old man reported me to the police for grave robbery? Were they going to arrest me? This is the Richmond Hospital. 
you were marked as an emergency contact for your great uncle. He was taken into the hospital early this morning. We're going to need you to come in. My stomach dropped. As far as I knew, I didn't have a great uncle. It had to have been the man from the night before. Never in my wildest dreams did I expect to be notified of his death, especially not so soon. I should have refused to go, but something in me compelled me to comply. Less than half an hour later, I arrived at the hospital. A nurse informed me that my great-uncle had passed away. She led me to his bedside and left me there, closing the door behind her. Judging by the cleanliness of the room, it seemed as though his stay at the hospital hadn't been too chaotic at least. There was only a crash card in the corner and a few discarded tools as proof that he'd received treatment. I unhooked the chart hanging over the foot of his bed and read it. His name was Herbert Jones. Died at the age of 81 from heart failure. A sinking feeling in my gut told me it wasn't coincidental. Herbert had been waiting for someone like me to come along. Had he offed himself once he passed on his final request? I stood in front of him and stared at his lifeless body, wondering if there was any truth to what he told me the night before. He lay there, dead as a doorknob, eyes foggy, blank stare locked in on the ceiling, but as I leaned in closer and really looked into his hazy eyes, I saw something. A light. A faint sparkle of life behind his faded irises. It was like looking into a frost-covered window on a cold winter's night and just barely seeing the outline of a family around the fireplace. Something you'd never see unless you knew to look. Was this why people usually close the eyes of the departed? I staggered back, a chill spreading from my extremities to my heart, clutching it like a vice-like grip. I understood what I had seen, what Herbert had been talking about, the conclusion he tried to lead me to. I had seen his soul. He was dead, but his soul hadn't left his body. It was trapped inside of him, waiting to be freed, waiting for me to free it. Hesitantly, I reached for a scalpel left behind on the tray next to his bed. I reared my arm back and stared at his head at my target. I was shaking like a leaf. Destroy the brain, I whispered to myself in shock. The words were horrifying, the kind of words reserved for zombie movies. The instrument felt heavy in my hand, or perhaps it was the weight of responsibility that weighed it down. I wish I could say that I respected Herbert's final wishes, but I'd be lying if I did. I was too afraid of the consequences. What if a nurse walked in and caught me? What if I missed? What if the sound of his brain sloshing against the walls of his cranium haunted me for the rest of my life? I dropped the scalpel and ran out of the room, my stomach a mess of knots, my heart caged lion roaring to escape. Herbert put his faith in me and I let him down. I let the hospital perform their autopsy, and God knows what else. I just pray they cremated him at least. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed these two stories tonight. Um, like I've been doing for the past few videos, I want to pose a question at the end. You all have 
seem to enjoy it, and I love reading your responses to everything. So this one is a little bit morbid, but it revolves around the first story, the fake cemetery on... Or no, sorry, the second story, the fake cemetery on Richmond Road. My question is... It's a two-parter. One, when you pass away, would you rather be buried or cremated or some other type of something that isn't just buried like in a coffin me personally I have recently come around to the idea of cremation just because I don't know something about cemeteries and being in a box for eternity just kind of weird to me so I chose I choose cremation over burial but of course, that's just me. Secondly, and this is a bit more philosophical, a bit deeper of a question. Do you believe in the soul? Like um, like Isaiah was taught in the story, you know. Even though someone is dead, like brain dead, completely unresponsive, all that. They still have their soul. Do you think that there is some truth to that. Is it a f- not necessarily a physical thing, more of a corporeal thing, right? But do you think that a soul in that sense exists? I'm very interested to see everyone's take on this. I know some of you here are religious, some of you aren't. Me personally, I'm not, but I don't know. It's an interesting thought. Personally, I don't think souls specifically are a thing, but I do believe in I just, I guess energy, just in general. So kind of like a, you put good in, get good out kind of thing. So maybe when someone passes away, there is a release of energy. Or maybe that energy stays behind and you are aware of everything that happens to you until your brain officially rots. Kind of a morbid thought, but it was kind of a morbid story as well. So let me know. Your thoughts on both of these questions. Do you believe in a more or less a certain depiction of life after death? And would you rather be buried or cremated or somewhere in between? Like I said, morbid questions, but they were both kind of morbid stories. I guess that's what you get when it comes to horror stories. But anyway, thank you all so much for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful night, day, or afternoon, wherever you are. Take care of yourselves and everyone around you, and sleep tight.